Our guest today is Blondine Lacroix. Blondine is a corporate vice president, biofarm and strategy, and a member of the U.S. executive team at Novo Nordisk Inc. She's on a journey to find her voice and become more active through her writing and sharing her experiences and learning to inspire and empower women, young and diverse talent. She wants to connect with audiences through narratives that are honest and relatable in hopes of helping others uncover their passion and find their purpose, inner strength, and their ability to make a difference. As a global executive in healthcare, her philosophy as a leader is to believe in people and to empower cultures that embrace their individuality and unique contributions. She fosters talent development by organizing people into teams that complement each other, maximize their skills and strengths, and encourage collaboration across diverse functions, cultures, and backgrounds to achieve ambitious and sustainable outcomes. She studied business as an undergraduate at the MBA Institute in Paris, France, and has a Master of International Business from the University of South Carolina. Blondine was awarded the Princeton YMCA Centennial Award for Healthy Living, which recognizes leaders in environmental well-being and sustainability in 2017. Her biggest and proudest achievement is to have found her way to her adopted daughter and to be her daughter's mom. Hi, Blondine. Welcome to Woman to Woman podcast. Thank you, Divya, for having me. Now, we are so excited that you're here today with us. We all know you really well. I've actually worked for you. So I really know great qualities, a lot of different things about you. And one of the things that really impresses, I think most of us who know you well, is your transparency. We know everything about you. You're very honest, very upfront. But is there something that none of us know that you can share with our audiences? Um, I'm pretty, as you said, pretty transparent. Um... I think one thing uh, maybe that people don't really know because of what they see today and how they see me today is um, I was, I've, I am actually an introvert, believe it or not. And uh, when I was very young, it was very hard for me to engage with people I did not know. And uh, when I was 19 years old, I, I always have this image in my, ha- in my head of the time when I was in the car and my mom is almost kicked me out of the car and said, go there, go go to the post office and buy stamps. I was that shy and that introvert that I would not even go to the post office to buy stamps. And that image has stuck with me for a while. And uh, yeah, so believe it or not, I'm an introvert and a very shy person. (laughs) That's hard to believe. (laughs) I know. When you fast forward to now. So you mentioned your mom, right? She was the one who was trying to get you out of your shell, so to say. Were there any specific people who really shaped your life to be what it is today? Yeah, many. And uh, many on the positive side of the influence and then some on the, I would call the toxic side. So, um, and that's one reflection I've had uh, over the years is that I am where I am today and I am who I am today because a a great number of people who have been part of, of finding or helping me find my way, finding my strength. Uh, so I definitely have my mom and dad to, to thank uh, for, for some of the core values that are key to me uh, around, um, I think, what we will call today inclusion mm-hmm. and embracing diversity. That's, that's I think, the, the buzzwords of today. But in the way they are and the way they raised us, um, that was part of the way we think about connection and, and working, living and working with people. So um, my mom and dad for this, and also the fact that they've, I've, 
always been there for us. Uh, I think you would define it as unconditional love. No matter what we were doing, no matter what we needed, they would always always be there, a phone call away. Um, an example is when I uh, separated from my husband at the time and I was in Australia, so I'm French and Australian and I had a family in Australia for many years. And when the marriage broke down, um, I was on the other side of the world, picked up the phone, shared a little bit of my pain with my mom and dad. And within literally two weeks, uh, they left everything behind in France and flew over to, to Australia to spend a month with me to help me transition out of the home and in my life and being there for me. So that's, that's two very important people in my life. Uh, and then throughout my work, uh, career, a number of people who ended up being sponsors or champion or mentors and people who um, believed in me when I didn't necessarily see what they saw. Uh, one of the examples is, is the person who got me to the company I work for today. I've been in this company for 19 years um, and I went for a job interview for, for a position that was open in Australia for this company 19 years ago. And I went through the recruitment process, the hiring manager and the general manager and, you know, it was a very good due diligence uh, interview process. And um, at the end of the process, they both called me uh, and told me that they wanted to make an offer to me when the company had just entered into a global hiring freeze. And they basically got a dispensation to the home office in, in Copenhagen so that they could hire me. And they shared that with me. And uh, I, you know, I felt super good about that. And, and they explained the why and the why they, they fought so hard and, and why they wanted me to be part of the team. And, and to this day, I'm always grateful for, for them. And, but it just sent a signal to me at that time. It's like, wow, they see something that is very important to them to the point that they were fighting for against a hiring freeze. So those two um, managers and leaders, Michael and, and Paul have been a very um, instrumental in me joining this company and, and also showing me that there were some things that I can do that is valuable to others. And throughout my work life and my personal life, I've had those guardian angels or guiding stars or people who believed in me. And sometimes in moments where I could have had self-doubt and or questioning some of my abilities and highlighting for me some of my strengths for me. My ex-husband for a very long while was, was almost a mentor for me on, the, on that side of, of work, you know, our life uh, work-wise. So you mentioned uh, a couple of values that, you know, you have seen your parents raise you with. Mm-hmm. You mentioned, you know, unconditional love. Are there those values plus any additional ones that you live your life by now and you want your family your kids to move forward with? Yeah. Some of the values that I fundamentally believe in have been also very important to me in my success at work. And one of them is about the value of every individual and that we all worth something and that we all have strengths and that the beauty of human connection is that the more we know each other, the more we appreciate each other's difference, the stronger we will be as a group. And it has been part of, of my childhood and being raised, but also something that I apply at work, it has been extremely powerful and successful. So that the belief of, of human connection is, is probably the most important thing, that people matter and that people matter most. I apply that with my, my kids as well. But also things around the need for you to find your inner strengths and to, to understand, again, these strengths, this core belief of strengths is what matters most. I don't know about you, Divya, but I come from, a, from an old-fashioned European culture where when you go to school and you come back with a scorecard or uh, the grades for 
semester and then you have all those b plus or a minus and whatever and then mom and dad just zoom on c the c right the one c <laughs> and all that you hear about is how did you end up with that c right um so i come from a culture that focuses on trying to fix the weaknesses and really almost uh, obsessing about the thing that you don't do right. And uh, over time, I've learned about the power of strengths and focusing on strengths more than on weaknesses. Of course, neutralizing whatever weakness that could get in the way of success, but believing in, in strengths. And then the fact that everybody has strengths, everybody has um, experiences and frame of reference and way of solving things that are valuable. And that when you bring people, if you have the right person in the right role, you're going to have an amazing outcome. And if you build a very diverse environment of skills and, and core beliefs and, and, and strengths and experiences, you are going to have extraordinary outcomes. And it's also something that I spend time explaining to my kids. I've got four ex-step kids who are now young adults uh, in, uh, living in Australia. And I have my own daughter here in, in the US. And that's, that's been fundamental um, things I've tried to teach them is the importance of, of respect and, and that strength matters more than weaknesses. Uh, and I know some of my kids in Australia are grateful for this today. I know that uh, I try very hard when I get my my daughter's um, uh, school uh, school reports to not focus on the twos and and really focus on the fours and the threes and, and just really spend more time on this. That's so true. We focus so much on the weaknesses. We need to look at them as allowable weaknesses. Yeah. And another mm-hmm. another belief that is connected to this, and I think it's all kind of you know, they all connected. Like if we all believe that, you know, you have to have faith in people. I have faith in people. I would usually, uh, most of the time, I will um, don't assume who you are and what you stand for. I will judge you by your actions. And I think it's also part of the Australian culture as well, right? You're as good as your actions, words and status doesn't really matter in, in Australian culture. So I embrace that, that it's, we, you're as good as your actions. So if you believe in people and you give them the benefit of the doubt, and even if they are different, you don't judge. I, don't, don't get me wrong. Everybody judge. I do too. I have biases. I have judgment because I have frame of references and I respond to others' frame of references based on mine. But um, the more open you are, the more tolerant you are to understanding each other, the more you learn. And then if you believe in... in um, supporting each other with that, then it's a very dynamic process. So you brought up a great point. Believe in what you can do, actions, right? So we do a lot of different things at work. So when you hire, Mm -hmm. what do you look for? And you had mentioned this in an earlier conversation, you know, we all have transferable skills. Yes. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Because that is such an interesting and important concept. Yes. So, and I learned that through, so most of my, so I I train as a financial controller. So finance, accounting, all the things. But I learned very quickly through my work experience, but also my studying that I actually was more attracted to to marketing. And I started in the steel industry. I did market research in the steel industry, was an accountant in the steel industry, uh, was a salesperson in the steel industry. And then I, you know, got an MBA and then I worked for a company that did labels. So if you think about Everett Innocent, I worked for the mother company that manufacturing side and I was a brand manager, product manager for what we call thermal labels. So like, you know, when you go to the airport and you, you put your suitcase and you have that label, that's a thermal label. I was a brand manager for that, <laughs> you know, and then I entered into pharma and I did life science and, and healthcare. And, but most of my success stories in all the jobs I took were really 
related to the strengths that I had that are the same across, no matter what customer, no matter what industry, right? And so I realized very quickly that to be a good commercial leader or a good strategist or a good marketer, it's about deeply listening to your customers, which can lead to insight, which will lead to strategic direction and strategic decisions, which will lead to a plan. And that you're going to go and, and work with some partners to say, what's my message? How do I convert? It doesn't matter. It didn't matter which industry I was in. It didn't matter what customer I was with. And so I very quickly realized that to be a good marketer, it didn't matter what industry experience you had, but there were some fundamental skills that are universally applicable to getting to a plan that leads to your customer's connection, that leads to customer choices, and that leads to financial performance. By my personal experience of this, when I'm hiring someone in my team, I need to understand first what we're solving for as a team and not be um, limited by degrees or uh, industry experiences or uh, skill set. Have you been a marketer for 20 years and have you done market research? Have you done, but, but really looking at some of those, especially at the leadership level, some of the skills that are very important and, and not, not limit yourself to a pool of candidates that are just in that mold. Another example that I think helped me as well is when I was in the company I'm in and I worked across the world in many, many different countries to help develop marketing strategy and, and get to financial outcomes by, by customer preferences and customer choices. I moved to the US after almost nine years in a company in different parts of the world and started in Australia, I moved to the head office in Denmark and worked with China and Japan and different countries. The first things I heard when I arrived in the US is, you French, you Australians, you don't know this market. You don't know the healthcare system in the US. And most people who come from somewhere else never make it here. That's what I heard. So why are you here? Within 18 months of being the leader of a marketing organization for one of our brand, which was struggling, a brand that you know struggled because we had a strong competitor in the market. And the way we had launched it was not connected to what the market would respond positively to. So a brand that was struggling. Within 18 months, with the team I was working with, we turned the business around, get to an exponential. We changed that flat set trajectory to exponential growth. We went beyond the billion dollars uh, revenue per year. We went beyond the 25 market share, right? And for something people could not, thought could not be done. I was not American. I did not know the system. I didn't know the customers. But the first thing I did is spend three months in the field, speaking to our customers and to our reps and to understand what are we dealing with here? And then very quickly, I got to a conclusion of messages are disconnected. There's a trauma in our field because it's the first time they have a competitor that you know, get more market share than they do. Customers thought we were wanting them to do something. That's not exactly what we wanted them to do. So I realized very quickly that they were disconnected between the intent, the way we delivered, and what we would resonate with the customers. Then I worked with our field leaders. Then I worked with our marketers, with our medical affairs and said, this is what I'm seeing. Do you see that too? And then we went back into data. We went back into inside and said, mm, yes, so there's something. And then the next question was, how do we solve for this? That's a new intent. Got to a cross-functional alignment of direction and within 18 months, changed the trajectory. And it's because I had those translatable skills that allowed me to be successful in this new market with this new brand, with this new team, even though I was French. So it worked. So that's also amplified my core beliefs on the importance of building, on being clear on what we're solving for as a team, 
being clear on what strengths will allow us to be successful in delivering to that problem. And then making sure that when you hire someone, you don't hire someone for a mold. You know, they shouldn't absolutely not look like you and have the same frame of reference like you and the same experience and the same, like mini-me's in the same team, not going to work, right? But also being clear that different background and different experiences will be the richness of the team. I've hired, I've hired a lot of finance people who became amazing strategists and amazing marketers. I'm one of them too. I've had people in, in the clinical and regulatory affairs um, space that have certain skills and behaviors and wiring. I call it wiring, like the way they think, the way they solve, the way they connect with people that are the best salespeople I've ever seen, right? So I think it's important to not... Uh, I still, to this date, I'm hiring a lot of very competent people. I know that in their resumes, we know where they went for, for undergrad and for graduate school. And there may be a few letters behind their names that just tells me how smart they are. And, and, but the truth is, I don't, when I work with people, I don't even know when they got the, where they got the MBAs from or if they even got the MBA. We do when we do a hiring process because we have that on paper. But very quickly through the interview process, I don't even remember where they went to school. And I most certainly don't know where all the team members I work with, where they went to school. And I don't really care. So somebody who's just starting their career, what should they be looking for? At this point, is still trying to figure out what they're really passionate about. What would your advice be? Try different things and see how it feels. And it might sound a bit weird, right? But I realized I didn't want to do finance because every time I had a finance job, I didn't like it. I didn't feel uh, inspired and excited. And I had all the technical competencies. Mm-hmm. So I tried something else. I tried market research and I got excited. But it, so it was connected. So I think whatever is whatever has been obviously strengths you rely on that led to academic performance and or degrees, start there and say, okay, what 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 when I do when I take this topic or this subject. Did I enjoy it? Did I spend more hours? Did I feel good? You know, was it, what type of uh, what I call red hat? What type of emotion did it feel like when you were going through it? It will give you pointers. So that's an experiment. I know many of us have been conditioned to go through as far as you can into academia, right? Through school and get degrees. And many, many are very smart and they go very far. And then they get very excited as a young, you know, with dreams and energy and, and nothing is jaded and there's, the corners are not rounded yet. And, you know, you believe you can do everything, which is super cool. And it's, it's very important for innovation and drive. And then they're being told by mentors that, you know, you need to earn your stripes before you can become a leader. You need to earn your stripes. And that's something I heard when I was 25 and I could have been part of a big bank, international bank, um, they call graduate programs or rotations where you could, within two years, can become a leader. So 25 plus two years, 27 years with very minimal work experience. And I could be a leader of a team and making business decisions that have an impact on many people and a top line and a bottom line. But I had a mentor who said to me, you may not want to take that opportunity because you need to earn your stripes to be the best leader you can be when you get there so that you can have certain experiences that allows you to make good field decisions on the go because you don't have no, no information and no time. You can't do this without experience. And then you're going to make decisions that are going to impact an employee, their family, and their future. You need some experiences that allows you to make those decisions. You learn through life. And you also, do you know who you are? Do you know how good you are? You know, we always, I've learned recently around the blend, uh, brain development and how we all start with a living brain 
that drives a lot of the primitive behaviors. The cortex brain, the brain that allows you and I today to have certain uh, reaction and decision-making process and everything, doesn't develop between the age, for women, it's between 23 and 25 years old, and for guys, it's between 25 and 29. So that smart brain that you and I are relying on today is not there for many of our early years, right? So you don't have that brain, you don't have the cortex, you don't have the experience. And so it's important for you to experiment and to learn things about yourself, not just about work and technical skills. And the more you aspire to become a leader, the more you know you need to know yourself, to know your strengths, to know what it takes for you to make difficult decisions at different time. There may be a time where you're going to have to downside a team. There may be a time where you're going to have to say no to something that everybody is excited about, but you know is not going to deliver the outcome you're looking for. So you need a credibility, you need legitimacy, you need um, the ability to run your business with a gut sometimes. And that doesn't come overnight. It comes with experience and understanding of your strengths and the ability for you to create fellowship. Some people are told they're born with charisma. It's true. Some people are better than others to create a connection with people, to get people to want to follow them. But that is not enough for long-term sustainable fellowship. That is not enough, especially when the business is tough. When everything goes well and everything falls into place and stars are aligning, that's easy. But you only know the real captain of the boat in a storm. And that, to be that captain, takes experience. It takes failures. It takes knowing who you are and what you're not and how to surround yourself with people who can compliment you. So in such a storm, let's go yes. to the storm. Yes. Don't we leave some of them at the moment, right? <laughs> with COVID and... Yeah, right now. So how have you managed? And, and I know you wrote this really, really nice article about self-care. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about that? And, and the one thing that I loved in that article, you mentioned, put your oxygen mask That's before gone. you go yeah. for others. Yeah. So if you can just talk a little bit about that. That was inspired by someone who t- challenged me on this. So early on, so I'm a leader. I've been a leader of a big team. I'm a team of more than 350 people. We had a big job, big ambition. And then we get to COVID and I'm like, okay, how am I going to do this? We're going to work from home. Can't connect with our customers. Can't connect with my field people. I have an eight-year-old. I'm scared. She's scared. Um, I can't see my mom and dad. We live in France. I can't see my kids in Australia. The country, the two countries I come from, shutting the borders. Uh, I don't know if I'm going to be able to have food in my fridge. You know, all the things. So very, very stressful times. Uh, and I still have to lead. And I was trying to solve for the business. I was trying to solve for this. And then uh, someone, someone was part of my kind of inspiration network, if you wish, challenged me and said, you know, when you get in a plane, the first thing they teach you or tell you is put your oxygen mask on first before helping others. And you need to do that now. You need to focus on yourself. You need to focus on your well-being. You need to focus on self-care because otherwise you are going to burn out. Otherwise, you're going to fail yourself, your team, and your family. And it resonated for me because I'm like, that's what they tell us in the plane, right? Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, so what does it take for me to oxygen max on first? And I've been part of a, of a team that's looked at obesity for a long time. And we learn about stress and the chronic stress and how it negatively impacts on your weight. Chronic stress situation, you are going to have biological transformation of your body that are going to lead you to weight gain a negative impact on your health. So I knew that sleep was important. I knew that managing stress was even more important. 
I didn't want to gain some weight. And I knew that COVID could lead to that if I was not careful. I mean, we all joked about how many pint of ice cream we had in the freezer and how many of us were eating them, right? So I knew that I had, I wanted to be able to make sure that I would not put on weight during COVID. Therefore, I knew that I had to, to put a plan in place. I've never been in my family and my, my, my personal story. I've never been a sports person. I've never played a lot of sports and I've never gone to the gym. But I thought, okay, with COVID, I'm going to have to remain active and I'm going to stay at home. And my local setup at home is not allowing me to go for a walk because there's street everywhere and I have to pick up the, I have to drive the car to get for a walk. Um, so I was like, okay, so I'm going to take three days a week where I'm going to get a personal trainer and do virtual sessions. One year for, you fast forward to one year and I'm still doing this, right? Every week for three, three nights a week for one hour, I've got virtual uh, training sessions. I've been very diligent on my sleep quality. I read a lot about what does it take for you to be able to have good sleep, right? So I, I, I uh, and I'm teaching that to my daughter too, right? We are very, very um, disciplined in, in sticking to when do we go to bed and when do we fall asleep? What are, what are our routine for falling asleep? No screen. If you read a screen, put those Blu-ray glasses. Um, don't watch the news. Um, read something that relaxes you. Sing with you. So I sing with my daughter. We read books together. So we have a routine that is allowing us to to slow down and to relax and to get ready for sleep. And then by eight thirty at the latest, we are in bed sleeping. I'm making sure I have seven years, seven years, seven hours of sleeping beauty, seven hours of of quality sleep. Right. So making sure that my phone is not my alarm clock. I just recently bought a phone that is a sunrise with chirping birds, and my daughter loves it, and I love it too. Right. Because you're waking up, and she said, "I like those birds, but in in summer it's going to be a problem because we have the birds outside and the birds here." But this idea of quality of waking up, having a routine in the morning on how do you wake up so there's no stress straight away not picking up your phone and checking checking your facebook or your social media not checking the news not checking your work emails drawing the line say this is the time when i'm going to start doing this i don't know if you've realized that for yourself divya but i know that when i pick up the phone my my smartphone that is also where i have that social connection where i have my work emails where i have my sms and everything as soon as i pick this thing up and get to engage there. I am so engaged in this that I don't even know what's going on around me, but I'm a single mom who's an eight-year-old. And sometimes when I do that on the weekend or in the evening, and she's finding ways to tell me, mom, I'm here, I'm by myself, hello. And I have to put that evil thing away so that I can be in the moment with her. So being in the moment, being drawing lines, uh, putting in your calendar things that says, now it's me time. Now it's sports time. Now it's my daughter's time. Now it's my work time. We do that very well for work day. I mean, yeah. some of us argue that during COVID, we, our calendars are crazy because it's all Zoom and Teams and whatever, and you don't even have time to think. Then I put a time in my calendar where I think on the Monday morning, on a Friday afternoon, I don't have any more meeting after four, after three. So I can do things that are helping my mental health. So there's a lot of things that I'm, it sounds like a a kitchen sink right now, but they're all linked to what does it take for me to feel good, to feel, to remove the stress, to manage the stress, to to prioritize what matters to me and my family. You're a single mom. And I know you have an extremely stressful corporate job. You lead a lot of people and you you are totally immersed when you work, you give your 200%. So 
how do you manage? How do you balance the two? Like you have juggled so many different aspects of your life. How do you do that? A few things. Uh, and that you need to, and what matters most to you. And so through my personal journey, I've learned that what matters most to, to me is to be the best mom I can be for Sophie. I've learned through, through my personal journey that I've always wanted to be a mom and to be a mom is my meaning. I have four step kids and I have Sophie and I'm invested in this relationship. And I've been verbalizing it to my boss, to my team, and I've been role modeling it. I said from 6.30 to 8.30 in the morning and from 6.30 to 8.30 in the evening. And then from Friday night, right? When we close shop at work and to Monday morning, my job number one is Sophie's mom. And therefore, I'm not going to check my phone. I'm not going to check my SMS. There's times where you have to do it, don't doing it. So I, I purposely verbalized and said those, those, those rules or, or expressed it to my work environment to say there are times where I'm, my priority is going to be Sophie's mom. Here's my times where I'm going to be Sophie's mom. It doesn't have to be the weekend for you guys, depending what you do for a living. You may have to work on a weekend. That's fine. But being very, very clear on what matters to you more plan it and, and schedule it and then letting your work environment know about those rules also that vacations are vacations right and it means that before i leave on vacation i make sure i have a team that knows what to do and uh, step in for me and back me up and handle things if my boss can't talk to some of my team members to get the answers they need when i'm away i failed as a leader the other thing you said i have a stressful job I don't feel stressed by my job. And sometimes I do this, there's situation. You will always have stresses and whatever. But the reason why I feel that I'm not stressed, I would say 95% of the time is because I've built a team that I know I can trust and rely on. I worked very hard in clarifying expectation and goals and we have a plan and we pull through on the plan. And if there's a curveball, then we activate and decide how do we solve for this? Work is only work. Uh, in the COVID time, um, I've set up my work landscape into one of the bedrooms that we don't use so that I could close the door because I don't have an office per se. So I found a place where I could be that, that became that work home unconsciously that I was doing a few things. There's a light on the desk. There's a light behind me. So I switch off my computer. I switch off my light. I walk towards the door. I switch off the door. And it's almost my checking out routine. And I didn't realize I was doing it, but I've observed myself after the question, having this routine and then closing the door and leaving my phone in the bedroom to recharge and go downstairs to be Sophie's mom. So I've found ways to organize this. And then the other thing on the more bigger picture, not just the operational picture of it, is that I'm lucky to be in a job where I leverage my strengths. we back to what I was starting for, right? So it's easy for me to be able to solve for things. And I have enough experience and enough, you know, things that when there's a stressful situation, I can go to some frame of references or past experiences, or I can go to my team. The other thing that I've also learned that is, has been a big learning for me is we know it takes a village to raise a child. It's Sophie and, and I here, technically. It's just Sophie and I. My mom and dad are in France. My brothers and sisters and their families are in France. I have 10 nieces and nephews. I have four stepkids. Two of them are married. One of them has a little child of one. And they're my family. They're my kids. So I had nobody else but Sophie and I. 
And so I build, I build a network. I build connections with, with people who have kids like Sophie and, and we spend time together and then you realize, Hey, guess what? Your kid is not this weird kid. It's a kid like everybody else. So you have a friend of a friend. So I have, I have friends who have kids and usually through the school, right? You end up socializing with the parents and they became part of my network. I have people I can rely on to help me out with chores. I have people I can rely on to look after Sophie when I'm working. So I, I am blessed and I'm privileged to be able to build that network. But I think that's a key fundamental element is, is making sure you surround yourself with people who can support you in many of aspects of your life and building your network and your village. The other thing is my daughter every morning has breakfast with grandpa and grandma through FaceTime. Since she's been a baby, when she's, when it's, it's a routine. And I've never spoken to my parents as much as since I've got Sophie, right? Because I speak to my mom and dad every day on FaceTime. So since she's been a baby and she's eight years old, she's having breakfast with grandpa and grandma. For them, it's almost one o'clock in the afternoon or, you know, six, you know, there's a six hours difference. But for, her, for them, they're having this routine. And then sometime during COVID, when she was doing virtual schooling and I could not look after her because I had my own virtual schedule with work, I'll ask my parents, can you engage with her through FaceTime? And they will make her read and they will, you know, and so I activated my network. So that's very important. Building a network, not believing you could do it, you know, on your own. We're not superwoman. It doesn't exist. And that's also true for work. Who is your board of directors? Who are your, your champions? Who are your sponsors? Who are the good to? Who are the people you can go to and you go, bah. who are the people you go to and say, I have this problem. I have this issue. What do you think? Right? So, and sometimes you don't have that in the work, especially if you're a leader of a team because you're at the top and it's hard to confine. But I've also, and I think you mentioned it early on, I realized there's nothing to lose by letting people know what's going on in your life. So as a leader, you know, if I'm a shitty day, a difficult morning because something happened at home, then I let people know. So that's my, and or check in and leave that behind, right? So I verbalize it so people know I had a tough morning. And if I come across it a bit rough, that's probably what it, where it comes from, right? So, so verbalizing the aspect of your life to whoever you engage with, that allows you to create some empathy and connection. In closing, if you had to give any advice to our listeners on what they should be focused on if they aspire to be leaders like you. I think it's also important to have um, sponsors and supports. Like It's not the networking like you're probably conditioned to, to do in the US, right? It's to have people who believe in you and know who you are and, and engage them into your growth and your journey. That's going to be very important. To have sounding boards, to have sparring partners, and that can be happening at home. If you have a loved one who can help you, it can be a friend. It doesn't mean that they solve everything for you, but it's places, safe places for you to do that. And then through work is to be good in your job in the moment, not to look for the next job. Or I'm taking this job so that I can be X tomorrow, right? Focus on I'm taking this job because I have the strengths. It seems interesting. I can grow. It's going to challenge me to a certain extent. And it seems relevant for the path I want to take. And then invest 150% in that. Because when you do this, what's going to happen, you're going to excel. And when you excel, people are going to pay attention. And they're going to tap you on the shoulder and say, hey, would you mind doing this? Because it sounds like you can do that. And that is what happened to me, right? Is, is that if I, I only focused in the moment in being the best I could be in a job, in the mandate I had, as best as I could, with a good intention. And then what happened is someone said, hey, you're free or hey, we need you, what, what about? 
And then it became the next opportunity. The only time where I put my hand up and said, I want this was the obesity journey seven years ago, because I thought it was intriguing. It was interesting. And they let me do it for seven years. They have rules here that say in the company I work for that as a leader, if you spend three to five years in something, you need to move on. I think I've heard that also in marketing and other part. It might be true. But another thing you need to look for is the ability to, to grow in everything you do. So if you no longer grow somewhere in the job you're in, proactively say, what else can I take on? Not in a new job, but in a company you're in, in a team you work with. And then you're showing them you're willing to do something else. You're willing to learn something else. Being verbal about your willingness to join in somewhere else. If you have time to say, I have time and I want to do this, can, you, can I help? That is going to open some opportunities to grow in a job. It's going to show others what you can do. And if you do this, if you stick to that, believe that I'll be, I'll take this job. It seems intriguing. I have strengths to be good at it. I may be a learner. I may have training wheel, but I'm going to do the best you do. You can, and you do, you're going to excel. And if you excel, it's going to show up and it's going to intrigue others. And people are going to ask you to join in. Thank you, Blondie. There were so many great pearls of wisdom in this conversation. So thank you so much for joining us today and having this conversation with us. Really appreciate it. So I hope it helps. Uh, uh, I can engage with whoever is interested in, in chatting more and learning from them too.